Do y'all know that I hide from you once a week? I do. Every Thursday, I do my best to hide from you. I've got a couple of hiding places. Thursday's the day that I work. I work on the message from Sunday morning. What I do, the the process, just, you know, not that you ever care or would want to know, but give me the process anyway. The process is, is that once every so often I sit down and pray about what needs to be preached for a while, what our message should be, and I'll put scriptures out, you know, I've got them now out into January. This is what I think is going to happen that week. And then I'll take on Monday of each week, I'll print that scripture out and read it over two or three, four, five times and then let it sit until Thursday because God has this interesting way that when I've read the scripture and heard the scripture over the course of three or four days, he just lays things in my path that go right along with it. I thought, this is cool. Illuminated a little bit. And on Thursdays when I do the heavy lifting, Thursdays when I get away, think, pray, study, write, uh, it's, it's not as easy as you might think it is. You, there's a lot of torn up paper and erased things and words that you look at. This Thursday I was in one of my hiding places and there's a podium. It's in the church and there's a podium there. It looks like the podium was probably, it's handmade. It's very obvious that it was handmade. Probably made 30, 40 years ago by somebody here at the church. And, and it's been used in Sunday school classes every year. And on that podium, somebody, some rascally little children have taken magic markers and have written their names on the podium. Mm. And, the, and, the, and, and when they did it, it soaked into the wood. So it's there. I mean, it's not coming off. It's there for all posterity. And I can imagine on the day that that was seen, somebody blew a gasket. My daddy made this thing and he didn't make it for these young people to destroy all the things. They have no respect for anything anymore. And I guarantee you if it had been one of my kids and they'd marked up, oh man, when they got home, they lost a body part. And I'm certain that some of y'all would have done the same thing with your kids and that's all oh, the world and people would have talked about it in the church and, and got mad and then and what we do at the church better than we do anything else is get mad and so we'd get mad and we'd talk and we'd get mad and we'd get talk and that's what happened I bet you 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 30 40 years ago but you know what I bet now I bet just as sure as I'm standing here that if you went out and you looked at that podium and you saw those two names on that podium Instead of getting all wadded up and upset, you'd look at it and you'd think, I remember when they were a little kid. You know, they were a little mischievous, but they were the sweetest things. I just loved them to death. I wish we could have those days back. We had so much fun back then. They were the they were good old days. Those were the good old days. What once infuriated us will make us yearn for the good old days. And y'all know I'm right. Y'all sit at home and tell stories now of the time that so-and-so did such-and-such and and everybody just wanted to kill them. And you love telling stories over and over again because those people aren't around anymore and you miss them. And it it reminds you of them. And you get all nostalgic. Sometimes you get a little bit melancholy. We miss those times. They were good times. Don't seem like we have good times anymore. 
But for all you old coots who remember Carly Simon, she released a song in 1971 called Anticipation. It was used for a catch-up commercial, but it was really a pretty neat song. And in, her, in that song, Carly Simon says, stay right here because these are the good old days. Do y'all remember that, you old guys? Remember that song? These are the good old days. Remember that? I'd sing the whole thing out to the very end, but she hits high note and I can't do it. I practiced it. It didn't work. We can make a biblical case to support what she says there. These are the good old days. One day you're going to look back on 2016, especially, I would say especially, but I guess it works for all of us, kids, grandkids, the whole nine yards. We're going to look back at 2016. We're going to remember things that happened. We're going to be excited about what happened. We're going to, we're going to miss people that have gone on. We're going to miss our kids being little and the grandkids being little. And we're going to have all these warm feelings about 2016. These are the good old days. So how do we go about making these the good old days to get our focus in the right place? How do we go about making these the good old days? Well, it's not by dwelling in the, in the past. Listen, if you're dwelling in the past, if you're living in the past, you're dead already. You're just waiting for your heart to stop beating. And that's the honest to goodness truth. If we dwell in the past, what do we remember? Well, the way things were. And we always remember it with a rosy glow. We don't, remember, we don't remember separate bathrooms. We remember good days. We don't remember all the things that happened back then. We remember good days. Then we think about things that we should have done, but we didn't. Places that we went that we shouldn't have gone. Places that we should have gone that we didn't go to. We remember all the mess of life when we live in the past, and we are dead already. So it's not the past. So it has to be something else. And I was reading this week, and I came across this quote, said, it is the future, not the past, that molds the present. It is the future, not the past, that molds the present. Now, how does that work? Did you listen to the video, the 1776 video, very closely? We all think that we declared independence from Great Britain, from England, on July the 4th of 1776, but actually we didn't. We declared independence from Britain on July the 2nd, 1776, but it took us two days, 56 men meeting as delegates from the 13 original colonies, meeting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It took these 56 men two days to sit down, wordsmith, wrangle, come up with exactly the right words that they were willing to put their name on and make this pledge. In the declaration, they said, and for the, for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's brave. That's a very brave thing to, to do. Can you imagine today? Any person, any group? Yes, you can. You've seen it in the news. Any person, any group that stands up against the United States government and says, listen, we're not going to live this way anymore. You can't tell us what to do. We're going to do this. We're going our way. We're forming our own group. We're separate from you. What would happen to that group in the United States? That's what these guys did. 
These few guys didn't have massive cannon factories. They didn't have big armories. They didn't have ships for the Navy. They didn't have uniforms for their soldiers. And they stood in the face of the mightiest force on the face of the earth. And they said, we have had enough. We appreciate your help getting here. We appreciate what you've done up to this point. But you are not God. And you cannot tell us how to live. Only God can tell us how to live. Giving you a history lesson this morning. I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. Because we have bought a lie. And we've got to know the truth. 56 men met in Philadelphia. 56 men met in Philadelphia. Of those 56, 29 of them... 52% of them had seminary degrees. Well, what about the separation of church and state? That's something we came up with in the 50s. That had nothing to do with the founding of this country. Their idea of separation of church and state was something entirely different. It was that the state would not interfere with the church. 29 of the guys had seminary degrees. And while not everyone was a devoted Christian, contrary to what you may have heard, not a single signer of the Declaration of Independence was an atheist. Not one. Not a single solitary one. Every last signer of the Declaration of Independence believed in God. History test. Who were the two signers from Georgia? You got to tell me we're going to stand all day. Who? Lyman Hall and Button Quinette. Does anybody know what Lyman Hall's uh, occupation was before he went to sign? He was a pastor. Lyman Hall had a seminary degree, he was a pastor from the state of Georgia and sign the Declaration of Independence. It is the future, not the past, that molds the present. Is this true? Is that statement a true statement? These guys are declaring independence from England. When you read the Declaration of Independence, which I actually broke down and read word for word and posted on Facebook so you could too, if you wanted to, they outlined, bullet-pointed before there was even PowerPoint, they bullet-pointed bullet 28 grievances against the kings and the kings of Eng the, the rulers of England. At least 28 things from the past that they were tired of. They're not going to stand for it anymore. And as far as they were concerned, was going to stop and was going to stop right now. Sounds to me like the past was a big motivator. But it wasn't the driver of their actions. The past wasn't what drove them to act. It was their vision. It was their vision of the future. It's the dream that they had, the big, huge dream that they had of how life was supposed to be lived. These are the men on whose shoulders we stand. It was their vision. The most famous quote from the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We hold these truths to be self-evident. 
Do you understand what self-evident means? It means it doesn't have to be explained to me. It means that if I'm alive and breathing and I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm alive, then I know what it is. It is self-evidence that anybody with any degree of common sense at all doesn't have to go to school, doesn't have to be taught, doesn't have to be told by any committee anywhere, doesn't have some special group that's assigned to help us all understand this. Self-evident means that we can see it just by looking at it, that here it is, we hold this truth to be self-evident. If you've got a lick of common sense, this is a truth that you ought to know. What's the first truth? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Is that biblical? Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When God created us, Moses wrote down the words of, of the book of Genesis. Did he include anything about race? Nothing. Did he include anything in there about wealth? Nah. Nair word. Anything about looks? How about weight? How about intelligence? How about sexual orientation? Male and female, that's all he says. What did Jehovah God think was important to tell us? What's important for us to know is that he created us. Each and every one of us. That he created us, male and female, equally by his hand. Genesis 2 explains our creation in even more detail. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Only one kind of man, only one kind of breath, only one kind of life, equal. And these men were willing to die for that. I pledge to you my life. My fortune and my sacred honor, I will die for the self-evident truth that we're all the same. That we were all created equal. That we all should have equal opportunity. That we are all the same in God's eyes. They were endowed, that they were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Here is God in a document written by our founding fathers. When they talk about creator here, it is capital C, creator. Endowed by our creator, endowed, excuse me, bestowed, given by virtue of his position as creator, he gave us certain unalienable rights. Do you know what the word unalienable means? I looked the bad boy up because I didn't. I've said it a million times. We've read it. We studied it in school. Certain unalienable rights. An unalienable right is a right that was given to us. It was a right that was given to us that only God can give you. It is a right that no man can give you. And it's a right you can't give away. It's not yours to give. You can try. 
But you can't. It's an unalienable right. By virtue of the fact that Jehovah God himself created you, he and he alone has given you rights that you yourself cannot give away. No government gives you these rights. No man gives you these rights. These are yours, dictated to you, designed into your being by providential power, by the sovereign choice of Almighty God himself. Government is not sovereign. God is sovereign. And what are those rights that are so indwelled in us that you can't give them away? I want that to soak. I want you to soak on that one for a while. I want that to go home with you, and I want this to just sort of muddle in your head for a while to realize that you have been given rights by God that you can't even give away. That you don't have the authority to say, this isn't mine anymore. God says, "Uh uh-uh, no, it's yours and yours alone. I've given it to you. What are those rights? They say that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Among these, meaning this isn't all of them. But among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the big three. The first one is life. We all have a right to life. No one has a right to take our life away. A right to life. Do you hear that? Do you realize the population of the United States is 315 million? But if we had not had Roe versus Wade, our population right now probably would stand somewhere around 400 million because we've murdered 50 million and they would be old enough now to have children. Right to life in this country. Right to life bestowed by God that no man has a right to take away and no person has the right to give it away. The second right is liberty. It's freedom. The God-fearing men who agreed to this vision and the Declaration of Independence all believed that every man had a right to be free. And I know we can go into the argument, Randy, what about slavery? I don't know about you guys, but I don't know nobody. All that slavery stuff in the United States is over and has been over for a long, long time because these men had a vision that got the ball rolling that said that we are all created free. That we were created free by God and as such, we have a right to live free. You can find place after place in the Bible that would support such a claim. That's how God put us in the Garden of Eden. He put us here free. Even when he planted us here, he did not demand that we follow him. He allowed us to choose. Freedom to live life to the fullest as God designed it to be lived. Freedom to follow him. Freedom to pursue a life of righteousness and a life of Christ-likeness. Freedom to be a people whose goodness, whose honor and nobility is founded on one who is larger than them, who is greater than them. That's what these men saw. This is who put us here. We're going to live up to his ideal. Freedom to not have their morality divine, freedom to not have their morality defined 
by a vote of a lust-driven mob intent on satisfying their every physical urge from moment to moment, but free to have the morality defined by the one who designed us, who knows us better than our mothers do, and who loves us enough to either give us over to our passions or to save us from our sins. The pursuit of happiness. We defined happiness. Do you all remember that? It's what these gentlemen had in mind when they wrote this. Do you think for a moment, and don't, don't read more into what I'm saying than what I'm saying. I just want you to, do you think for a moment when these guys wrote The Pursuit of Happiness, that they had any idea that they were legalizing internet porn? Do you think that was on their minds? That's the pursuit of happiness? That there would be a Roe versus Wade and that a pursuit of happiness meant that, uh-oh, God set you up so that you can have babies. Well, that's okay. My pursuit of happiness trumps your right to life. Do you think they had that in mind when they were writing this? I think instead they probably had Matthew 6, that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Remember us talking about that? This is a right given to us by God, a right to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness so that he will bless us with all the necessities and benefits of living a God-filled life. That's what they were talking about. We are buying into a lie. We look to the government to tell us what to do. They tell us where we can go. Well, Randy, I'm free to go anywhere I want to. Really? Why don't you open up a business in your house somewhere and not tell anybody? Let me know how that works out for you. Freedom to do what we want to do. Freedom that God gave us. Government tells us what we can buy. Randy, I don't know about that. Well, go out and buy a doggone light bulb. Have you noticed how they've changed? I paid $7 for a light bulb the other day. It's guaranteed to last 10 years. I needed to write the date on it because I bet you, bet you, bet you I'd change it in less than 10. Freedom to tell me where to go. Freedom to, to tell me what to buy. They tell me who we can marry. They tell us if our children can be born. We're trying to give the government the power to give us our rights. People are believing that the government has the power to give us our rights. But do you remember the word unalienable? You cannot give that to the government. These are not our rights to give away. They were granted to us by God. No man can overrule them. They were willing to die for what God had promised them. This is what God said you're supposed to have. And I'm willing to die for it, they said. 
And this isn't a new vision. The scripture that we read earlier, it's where the vision began. It's where the vision started with these guys. Abraham was called by God to leave his home. God's exact words in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham saw the vision, heard what God was saying to him, and he got up and left home with nothing more than what we have. He left home with a promise. I'll give you a land. That's not concrete. What land are you going to give me? I'm going to make you famous. What is that going to look like? I'm going to bless you, and through you all the world will be blessed. Do you think Abraham had for a moment a clue that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to be born through his lineage when God told him that all the world's going to be blessed through you? But he knew that God was making these promises. The writer of the book of Hebrews summed it up for the words, for he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for what God was laying out in front of him. God's vision. Not man's vision, but God's vision. The promise that started at Abraham flowed through history to our founding fathers, and it has been passed down by God to us. We are to look beyond the slogans and the rhetoric and the wisdom of all of the self-described experts. It is not about the economy, stupid. It's not about making America great again. It is not about economic justice. It is not about reproductive rights. It is not about I'm with her. All of those things are so unbecoming of greatness, so base, so beneath our dignity. And while every stinking politician around will shout to high heaven that this is what our men and women have died for over all these years, God remind us of what they truly died for. They died for freedom, God-given and God-ordained. That's what they died for. Unalienable right. No man can give it. No man can take it away. Freedom, in the image of God, freedom. Unbound freedom to pursue nobility and purpose and honor and dignity. Freedom to live for others. Freedom to live for God. And if required, the freedom to die to make sure that others have that freedom continue. These 56 men called us to join them in their pledge, a pledge that they knew and we know was driven by the very hand of providence. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. This is what heroes are made out of, not a television pro not a television show and the fact that they stand up because they had a sex change operation and can wear their Olympic medal around their neck now. Those are not heroes. Heroes are these people, ordinary men and women, willing to risk it all to follow the pathway that God has laid out in front of them. Heroes of honor, heroes of dignity, heroes, our heroes. Let's not disappoint them. 
Let's not let them down. We need to stand up. We need to be bold. We need to be courageous. We are the city on the hill. We are the beacon of hope. We are the people of Almighty God. It's time for us to come alive. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to take our place at the front of the parade. It's time for us to lead the world towards the one who gave us our rights in the first place. It is time to be the church. And it's time to be the beacon that God set us here to be. We have listened long enough. Now I'm not saying go home and get your pitchforks and your torches. And I'm not saying go home and people that are different from you to get in their face and scream. If you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, you know it's just the opposite all of that. But we are called to stand up at this point when somebody says that this is the way this should be. We stand up and say, excuse me, but no. Here's the truth, and this is where the truth comes from, and this is what I stand on. And you know what? You're just one of those right-wing wing nuts. Okie dokie. That's what I am. I rest on the word. I rest on the truth. Because see, if you rest on anything else, that can change at a minute's notice. Today it's very popular to be this way. Next week it'll be popular to be something else. You listen to what people say when we're going to grant rights and take rights away. You've got to remember when people talk about granting you rights and taking rights away that they can come back and take rights away and grant new rights. God gave us unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are among those. God did. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to repent. Churches let you down. Pastors have let you down. I've let you down over the years. In our comfort, in our desire as the church to not rock the boat, we have allowed the prince of darkness free reign in our country. We've allowed the prince of darkness free reign in our church. And we've allowed the prince of darkness free reign in our homes. And now we sit back with our mouths agape as our families are destroyed. And we cry tears of pain and heartbreak because our children are ruined. And we look to the future and we feel no hope. Father, forgive us, your church, of our cowardice. Remind us that you don't ask for great faith but only the faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. And with a faith that small, you promised you could change the very landscape of the earth. Forgive us, Father. Don't leave our nation to its own ways. Lift us up with one voice to call your name. And once again, to ask you, divine providence, to protect and heal our land. Keep us from the fear of darkness. Be the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our paths. You be our vision. 
Father, be our God and let us be your people. And we know this is your will. And therefore, we trust you to bring it to bear in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. The invitation this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Start with verse 6. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. One of the things that I've learned as I've done my daily Bible reading, reading through Lamentations, is there's a time that, that God says, I don't hear you anymore. I've gone on long enough. We preach and we teach, oh, he's always there knocking, knocking, knocking at the door. That's not really 100% true. When you go to the scripture, you find out, he even says in Lamentations, he tells Jeremiah, he says, don't even pray for these people anymore. I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to answer it. I've made my mind up. It's over. Don't bother me. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And the Lord will have compassion on him and let him return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord for his The heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and make it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. vacation Bible school on Wednesday night I had to do the Bible in 60 seconds it was in the script you won't know how many times I practiced that I mean I had to go like this and talk as fast as I could and I was you know I didn't memorize it I had to read it because there's no way in the world I could memorize anything that fast and I had to do it in 60 seconds and you know what the last two words were anybody remember anybody remember last two words God wins He always wins. Let's stand.